Would if we could, but we can't. So on with this show. In spite of all obstacles, friends, welcome in to Fusebox number 52, Corn Punk Caper. And I'm your not soggy, but feeling moist host, Mark Rose. And uh, over there, twiddling the dials with Mad Abandon, is Knobmeister Milt Keynes. Everybody. Oh man, indeed, indeed. You know, and maybe, uh, maybe just a moment of seriousness here. Uh... That's all we can afford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all too true, I'm afraid. But, but really, in all seriousness, um, this uh, this recent Hurricane Matthew that swept the Southeast United States um, did a cacophonous job of sloshing things up for many down there. And uh, our thoughts are with you if you were affected by this event, and may there be a speedy returning to normalcy for you. All I know is uh, there's no joy in that. I have been there and done that. Why the hell do they give these hurricanes such lame names? Is it to take the threat out of it or something? <laughs> Good point. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Matthew? Well, why not? Hurricane Butthead, or Asshat, or something you know that, you know, that's more in line with the character of these things. You know, you may be onto something there, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I suspect there's, there's quite a process in determining names for these things. But it's uh, hard to get real anxious about Hurricane Vinny, you know? Or Muffy. Or Thurston. <laughs> Thurston. <laughs> hey, how about Tropical Storm Gidget? <laughs> yeah. You know, if I were a storm, though, I'd, just, I, I'd be just angry on account of a stupid name. You know? Make me cranky at the least. But we on the channel here have a comrade and a frequent contributor to this program who lives in the southeast and was uh, near enough to water, I guess, to be more than a wee concerned. But uh, we have learned that our buddy Jimbo has, in fact, uh, made it through unscathed, home intact, save for a roof shingle or two, and what I'm sure is a soggy front porch. But alive and well, and, uh, and you know, he went about this and made lemonade from them lemons. He was working on his shows for the Overnightscape Underground during all that time. And I'm sure he'll have lots to report on that situation when he returns. Glad to hear that. I was wondering how he was doing. I mean, it looks like he was uh, somewhat near the landfall of that thing. So uh, glad to hear all is well in Hometownville. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I gotta say, you know, I, I, I have nothing but empathy for any and all that uh, had to endure that thing, is uh, back in the mid-80s, I had the supreme displeasure of meeting Hurricane Elena, which completely flooded the studio and destroyed years of uh, recordings and archival projects and all such things. I mean, 14 inches of water in that studio, man. Oh, buddy. 
could have been an electrical disaster, if nothing else. Yeah. Oh, hey, I, I, I was very fortunate there. You know, as all the boxes were just above the water line. So, uh, yeah, it, it might have been a real stinking mess. Well, it was stinking. You, you know that smell of wallboard when it gets wet and, and left to mildew, you know? Yeah. Ugh, lovely. You know, uh, I seem to remember a cheese that smelled kind of like that. Yes, the highly exotic Georgia Pacific Stilton. <laughs> but stink as that may be, our show today is far from the odiferous content a la fromage. We have the uh, second installment of an interview I conducted with Bob Blackburn, the heir to the Ed Wood estate. Uh, he, uh, Mr. Edward D. Wood, of Plan 9 from Outer Space fame, among other things. And uh, we're going to get into some uh, fascinating areas there with Bob regarding the uh, unseen Ed Wood movie called I Woke Early the Day I Died, some of the memorabilia collection ephemera, and uh, a bunch of other scintillatingly fascinating topics coming up. So please... Don't manipulate your mobile and or desktop device. Hi, I'm Carl Cornshaver, and I've been really, really successful in my life, and now I want to share with you my amazing and totally awesome methods of success, a system I call Carl Cornshaver's amazing and totally awesome methods of success that are totally awesome and amazing. Grab a pencil, because you'll want to refer to these incredible and totally awesome tips for success all the time. Tip number 76. Find a bunch of people. Do a really great thing. And then... Get rich. I'm Carl Cornshaver, and I'll see you at the top. For audio use only, but oral's good too. Yeah, speaking of uh, business and such stuff, I really have to comment on something that I uh, <laughs> that I discovered in our fine Oregonian news source here the other day. I don't really do this kind of thing too often, folks, but in, in uh, view of our current oddball political atmosphere, and I include political correctness, in that rapidly thinning air supply, uh, it, it involves a cupcake dilemma. Oh, please, allow me to read from the aforementioned article. Here's the headline. Or is that slug? I don't know. Bakery alters cupcake name after accusations of racism. In September, Fat Cupcake opened its second location in southeast Portland. Then, customers began complaining that it's Mr. President Cupcake, an Oreo cookie baked inside white cake cookies and cream buttercream, 
was racist. The owner, who is black, insists it's not, but has changed the name to The Professional, at least until after the election. Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) Yeah. You know, folks, I get the whole sensitivity thing and and the horrible track record of the past and and all that. But but really, a cupcake. I it's an homage to me anyway. I didn't I read somewhere that our our president has a fondness for that iconic cookie? Am I making that up? Yeah, it seems like it. Is this really a problem? A cookie crisis in the make? I mean, does this mean that our just get you know, just just ride with me here a minute. Does this mean that, like, our beloved Voodoo Donuts, a iconic landmark here in Portland, will now have to dispense with its uh, namesake donut, shaped like a little voodoo doll and filled with raspberry jam? Because Voodoo Dolls United will picket them. Or just stand around impaling themselves in the parking lot, scaring the children. Really? Man, I'm getting hungry. Is it me? I mean... Are we becoming that focused that everything becomes a race issue? Now, look, I'm wondering now if the single malts, the single malt scotches will be under fire because there's only one malt and it's obviously segregating the other malts in the process or maybe outright excluding them. Am I crazy? Uh, isn't that why they have plans? (laughs) (laughs) Really, man? You know, I'm pretty sure the owner of this establishment, uh, Fat Cupcake, was in no way trying to be a racist. It's called parody. It's satire in many civilized parts of the world. I know where I'm going after this. Liquor store? (laughs) (laughs) Which brings up a related thing here. And again, to me, kind of the direct opposite event, but kind of fits. Those of you out there who have Netflix may have noticed, in addition to what seems uh, like an endless list of uh, comic-inspired shows hitting that service lately, but this one has uh, has rather... <laughs> i got to be careful with this, but has rather skillfully and unceremoniously reintroduced a word into our lexicon that's been absent from most media for a while, the N-word. And it returns, folks, in uh, Luke Cage, the latest offering from Marvel. Now, I've seen an interview with Mike Coulter, the, uh, the chap who plays the title character. He says that he, he wasn't personally comfortable with it, but uh, given the time and uh, place and circumstances in the storyline, it makes it uh, a realistic choice. And uh, so there you go. Now, I got to say, this series, uh, words notwithstanding, this series has a wonderful texture to it, if you haven't caught it. Um, It it, kind of reminds me of uh, the black exploitation films of the early 70s, uh, films like Shaft and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Cotton Comes to Harlem, and to some lesser degree, even something as obscure as Ganja and Hess. But there's just this cool style to this series, which really does tip its hat to those films without being um, self-conscious and uh, I think brings a refreshing new spin to it. So, um, well, much like Netflix's other genre retooling series, Stranger Things. And that one uh, kind of does the same thing for the films of the 1980s. Doesn't that uh, 
Luke Cage character go back a ways, though? Yeah, I, it, it does. I think it was, what, the early 70s when Luke appeared? And uh, if <laughs> my rotting memory serves was created by a gentleman named Archie Goodwin and also seems to me that John Romita Sr. did some art as well. So, uh, yeah, long time coming. But a great choice and uh, ties into that uh, whole Jessica Jones series as well. So there's that whole storyline uh, intertwined as well. Yeah, I wasn't into the comic thing too much. Although, uh, I did have a thing for Rat Fink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I built a ton of those car models, man. Big Daddy Ed Roth. Gosh. Guy created a whole mythos on his own with that character. Oh. I just love those things. I, I can still smell the glue. Yes, and as Milt has another olfactory flashback, we're going to dip back into the interview I had with Bob Blackburn, the heir to the Ed Wood estate, and all-around nice chap who was kind enough to spend a Sunday afternoon uh, a while ago chatting with me about Ed and his history and some uh, upcoming events as well, which we'll let you know about in a moment. In this part, we're chatting about the lost film written by Ed and uh, some of the memorabilia that has remained intact. And, uh, and as was in our prior segment, inside the show notes to this very program are uh, links to some of the things Bob is referring to. So uh, as you'll note, there is a, an indication of like pick at 19 minutes, 40 seconds or whatever. And if you click that, you will see the grand and glorious image of which we are speaking of. Yes, the miracle of technology. All this and more on... More on... The Fusebox Interview. So at some point here, she entrusted you enough to sort of say, well, here's a bunch of Ed's things. What do you think of this? Yeah. When they uh, were, were evicted from their apartment uh, here on Yucca Street, all they took with them was a suitcase filled with a few items and the clothes on their back. All their personal possessions were thrown out on the street. Now, some of these had been put in a storage unit in North Hollywood, which eventually got sold off for non-payment of the storage rent, and it made the round of a few different collectors. And it went on auction, and we called it the trunk, Ed Wood's trunk. And it had a lot of Ed scrapbooks and other personal items. This friend of mine, Jason Insulaco, who is the grandnephew of Paul Marco, who played Kelton the Cop, actually bought the trunk. Uh. He also recently paid a good chunk of change for the cane that Bella Lugosi used in Planet Nine from Outer Space. So between he and I, we have the biggest collection of Ed Wood personal items on the planet. So when they were evicted from their apartment, they took the suitcase, and in the suitcase were a few things, uh, including a manuscript for a book. The book was called The Hollywood Rat Race, and it was kind of Ed's, as close to an autobiography as Ed ever actually wrote. He, it was like a how to make it in Hollywood kind of a thing, using him and his friends and his experience as the guidebook. You know, say you're a big actress in Des Moines, Iowa, you just got off the bus downtown Hollywood, how are you going to become a star? You know, and it was all these like words of warning and what to do and what not to do. But he, he mentioned a lot of his friends, you know, like Tor Johnson and all these other people were kind of in this little book. So Bob, the lawyer and i will refer to bob as bob the lawyer to differentiate 
between us and using his last name all the time. But so Bob actually ended up getting the book copyrighted and also found a publisher back in New York who got this book published. Kathy just loved that. She really, really did. And also in there was an unproduced film script called I Woke Up Early the Day I Died. And it was one that Ed had always wanted to do, and it was very close to him, but he just could never get it financing. And I know he had some various people who were attached to it at one time, and I want to say John Agar, the the washed-up has-been movie star (laughs) du jour. Because Ed was very fond of hiring these old movie stars that he remembered as a kid, Kenny Duncan and uh, Tom Keene and... uh, all these other people that appeared in his films in the 50s. So he had plans for this. So anyway, that script was in there. And eventually that film in 1999 actually got made. Yes, it did. And this is part of the the fascination for me. You and I sat with a, a couple of other friends in this very space and screened that film that stars not only Billy Zane and and Ron Perlman and Tippi Hedren and a host of other people, but it's probably one of the best Ed Wood films ever made. It's funny that you would say that. I actually just recently um, bought a book. There's a couple of guys named Edward J. Rausch and Charles Pratt Jr. who wrote a book called The Cinematic Misadventures of Ed Wood. And they kind of looked at all of Ed's films, did a little synopsis, and then kind of did their own little take on the movies and stuff. And I was most interested in if they saw and what they may have thought about I Woke Up Early the Day I Died. They think it's the best Ed Wood movie out there. Yeah. Which, which is weird because it's really not out there, but <laughs> it's um, no, but it's then, not it, because because of the fact that it it has all the cinematic value that a regular quote unquote regular movie would have good costume sets sound but but all those elements that go into making a good film uh whereas with ed's ones that he wrote produced and directed that you know there's elements of shoddiness and all the things that we and quirkiness that we love about ed yeah and they also interviewed uh the director arise Eliopoulos is interviewed in this book and i thought it was nice that they gave Arise the credit for this because uh, this was the only movie that Arise has ever directed it was his first that's movie. amazing it's his only he now he's an artist he comes from a photography and and visual arts background and he had always wanted to make a film and when this this uh, script kind of landed in his lap he took it and ran with it, and he got the uh, the money to do it, started casting it, and when the word kind of got around here in Hollywood that there was a new unproduced Ed Wood film, uh, people kind of came out of the woodwork, you know, thought, oh, that's a cool project. And there are, like I said, there's a whole host of cameos in this uh, from Vampira, who has a small bit part, to Christina G and is it Ron Perlman, John Ritter, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And they all... You know, worked for scale and just loved being there. And um, so Kathy was very, very happy. And in fact, Kathy has a small little bit part in a little cameo in there, too. And she interacted with Billy Zane and stuff. So uh, I was there the day that they shot that scene. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, you've been uh, gracious enough to su- supply a few uh, pictures that we will also be inserting yeah. into this thing so folks can see some cool. of this stuff there. Yeah, it really is. But first of all, I think it's one of Billy Zane's best films. <laughs> it, it's, it is it very well could be. It, I swear, it, it, there is something there is a very rare quality we don't get to see too often. Uh, and it's just it, the production values are so high and, and just 
thoroughly entertaining. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating that uh, this thing is locked up. I was going to say that because a lot of your listeners at this point are going to be going, well, where is it? Can I get it on YouTube or what? It was on YouTube briefly. There's a couple of versions of it. I only say that because it did come out in Germany briefly for about a week. And there was copies of it that were sold there on DVD. There's actually elements in the film where you see a typewriter and you see somebody typing script notes like Mm -hmm. the thief goes here or the thief does this. And it's made to look as if it's Ed actually typing the script as we're watching the film. And in the German version, the one that was on YouTube briefly, that writing is in German. Kind of a bootleg. I actually have a copy of that on tape. And the first time I watched it, I went, what? Because I had seen this. I actually went to two screenings in a film theater to see this. The AFI actually had a film festival in 1999 and this film was screened as part of that film festival wow uh they also had a screening at the toronto film festival uh they screened it here in hollywood at paramount studios for the cast and the crew which is where i got to introduce kathy wood to tippy hedron i wish i had a picture oh. i don't oh my god but But the film, and if you go, you can go online and you can look it up and you will see that the reviews, the few people that saw it and reviewed it didn't like it. Mm. You would have thought that they would have got what Arise was trying to do. Arise wasn't trying to be bad on purpose like so many people nowadays pay homage to Ed by being bad. Well, Ed was not bad. Ed was broke. (laughs) Yes, there is. And if Edward had more money, he might have been better. You know, you try and make the best thing that you can in honor of him. And that's what Arise did. Arise took this Edward script and made a really, really good film out of it. Yeah, he did. All the credit to him for doing that. It it is amazing. And I I think if Ed Ed would probably be doing backflips if he was alive right now. Yeah, yeah. In in a dress. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And high heels. Yeah. And if it's cold enough, maybe some Angora. Who knows? But uh, now you have taken a lot of this um, memorabilia around, haven't you? You've done like uh, shows. We 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 did one TV show that with Tom Green has a YouTube channel and a a, a Webovision thing, and his friend Mike Hickey, who's a big Ed Wood fan, who actually bought a couple Ed Wood books from me, and I I showed Mike some of my my possessions that I own by Ed, and he just freaked out. He loved it, and then when he found out that Jason had uh, won this trunk, he invited both of us to be on. So we did. And during the course of the show, he got this idea, uh, Mike did, that it would be so fun to take this out and take it to an audience and, you know, show it someplace and maybe screen some rare videos or Ed Wood stuff, you know, and sell tickets and actually do something like that. That's still something that we're looking at doing, but we I haven't really followed up with Mike on that. He's been busy doing other things. But one of the things that we may do, I'm talking to a, a book publisher about doing a second volume of Edward short stories. Um, I helped publish a volume of his short stories about a year and a half ago called Blood Splatters Quickly, mm-hmm. uh, O.R. Press. And it's still available. And um, it has 34 of Ed's short stories. I have since collected another 59 of Ed's short stories. And I'm, I'm talking to a publisher. It looks like we're going to go forward and actually release these short stories somewhere within a year, I'll say. And I actually came up with a, with a title, which you might like. It's uh, 
Angora fever. The collected stories <laughs> of Ed Wood. Nice. So um, the now, publisher like these are not these are stories that have never seen print. Then. Well, they've seen print, but the print you can't get them. I mean, these were all published in these girly magazines in the early 1970s. And didn't he do like these I, short? Uh, you have pictures on the site there, and we'll we'll put up a couple. But there were these like little paperbacks, these thin little paperback books, where uh, uh, with some rather lurid titles from time to time, or puns using his name, you know, yeah, whatever. But they all had very <laughs> primitive artwork. <laughs> Looks like it was scrawled by somebody. Uh... <laughs> well, they had illustrators that worked for Pendulum Publishing, which is where Eddie worked for uh, four or five years in the late '60s, early '70s. And the first Blood Splatters Quickly, the publisher went ahead and reproduced some of the uh, the artwork from it, which I went, okay, whatever. Yeah. We, don't, we don't own the artwork, but I don't think anybody's going to come after us on that. Most of the stories that Ed wrote were about three pages in uh, one of the magazines. And, of course, mm. it was in between the pictorials. Of look, course. Put it yes. More hair than you've ever seen in your life. Um, <laughs> and... So we published some of those. Ed also wrote what I jokingly – well, he called – they were called articles, um, like an article like, should you marry a prostitute or mm-hmm. things of that nature. And they were as much fiction as they were you know, fact. Uh, he, would, he would take something like, should you marry a prostitute? And he'd throw a couple facts and figures out there like, 95% of all marriages to prostitutes don't work out. OK, we knew that. And then he would go off on it and he would just you know riff on a theme, so to speak. So I eventually want to try and get that. Uh, published too. But going back to this collection of artifacts where we started out a minute ago, um, I talked to this publisher and with Jason, and Jason's idea was like take it to a, a film academy or something and have a display or, you know, like a museum, you know, actually set up, you know, an Edwood Museum or something. But he also thought, boy, wouldn't it be nice to do like a coffee table book, like Tashin or somebody like that, yeah. and have a really nice book? Well, this new publisher is. Kind of like thinking, well, I've never done a coffee table book, but that might be an interesting thing to do. So that's in the possibility, too. So we're looking. That would be extraordinary. (laughs) Yeah. Between Jason and I, we really want to get these artifacts out there in some way, shape or form for the fans that the people that would just. I, I did a little talk at an art gallery back in New York that did these Ed Wood sleaze paperback gallery exhibition and they were kind enough to fly me out there for the final day of the uh, of the exhibit and i brought ed's wallet with me which i own and which kathy actually loaned to johnny depp for the making of the ed wood film he had that in his back pocket while he's making the movie but um i have ed wood's wallet and also his little phone book and so at the end of my little speechifying there i uh, i produced those and everybody was going wow that's cool and can I take a picture of the wallet? Well, yeah, sure, if you want to. Yeah, it's just a wallet, but yeah, you know. So the stuff that, that, that Jason has is a lot of Ed's scrapbooks. There's autograph pictures from some of his cowboy heroes and stuff like that. Oh, so man. It, there's there's some really fascinating and some scripts and um, just all kinds of just cool personal items. So. Well, I, I think the, uh, the, uh, the phone book. Little because you have a picture of that, and uh, yeah, of name you know, Criswell, <laughs> his, his yeah. phone number is in there, and yeah. Tor Johnson. And it's like, this is this is like, it's hard to imagine that it's just, such <laughs> but, yeah, but no, I know, I know, it's just, it's almost surreal. I think there would be a, more than just a handful of people interested in a, a really nice 
coffee table edition of something like that because it's uh, yeah, it's just yeah. rich. The history is yeah. just rich. And the other thing that we were thinking, if we would have been able to do, and if we could at some point do a live presentation, um, Jason was the fun, one who found and restored uh, Ed's uh, short uh, television uh, show called The Final Curtain. And we could screen that. And then I also have about 10 minutes of home movies of Ed and Kathy and some other people silent, but it was mm -hmm. shot in color back in the late fifties. And I have that and nobody else. I've only, I screened it for a few people. I didn't have it when, when you and I were yeah. up there, I would have shown it to you. You yeah. would have seen it, but, but it's something that's never been screened. It's not, it's not available anywhere else. And I think it would be a draw for people that like, Oh, we get to see some Edward home movies that have never been produced or screened or whatever. So now that's yeah, interesting. It's, it's something, something. I didn't know about his television show. He did a he did a pilot well, for a television. He was, it, well, he was trying to do like a, an anthology series in the mid fifties, and they shot uh, a couple different things. Um, the final curtain was one. Also, the sun also rises. Both of those two shows are on YouTube. You, somebody somebody has found them and uploaded them to YouTube. What well, basically the idea was to do three approximately 25 minutes so you could insert commercials shows that he could sell to a local station and maybe get enough money to start producing more like and then you know like uh, twilight zone or hitchcock presents and based on his own short stories and the other one was called the night the banshee screamed or the night the banshee cried which he eventually wrote as a short story which was one of the ones that got published in this in this book i did but um uh, that one we've never been able to find a, a, a copy of. But the other thing was was that you could show them as three separate thirty-minute TV shows, or put them all in one thing as a movie. Right. And you could release it as you know, Tales of Terror. You know, right. <laughs> three little stories. You know, and that was that was his thing. I mean, he did work for uh, a couple of TV stations here, Channel Five. I think he did some stuff for them and. He tried to shoot commercials. I mean, if, if I have a copy of his resume and he lists a few things like that. That's what they originally did, like the Streets of Laredo and, and um, the, the early um, uh, westerns that he did before he did Glenn or Glenda. He shot a couple of westerns in the late 40s, actually, early 50s. And they were just so bad. I mean, he was so behind the curve time-wise. Like, I mean, sure, westerns were starting to come in on TV and stuff, but his – Again, the production values just killed him, and the stories killed him. But he was trying to create content for TV because in the early 1950s, it, almost anything would be shown on television, right? Yes. You know? So he was, sure. he was both movies. He wanted to do movies. But if he couldn't do movies, he could do TV. We'd do whatever he could do here to make a living here in Hollywood. So. <laughs> yes, indeed. Making a living... In Hollywood. I also want to mention that there is an Indiegogo campaign recently launched to help fund Ed Wood the Musical, a project underway right now, and uh, a link to the uh, Indiegogo page is also in the show notes. And uh, more with Bob next time as we wrap up our interview and uh, hope you join us for that. And with that flatulent flourish, we'll take our corn punk and get out of here. Angora-infused thanks to our contributors on this edition of Fusebox, Bob Blackburn for Time Served, 
and uh, Aaron Buckley for ecstatic words of identification. Yes, and but also to the Lord of Leveling, Milt Keynes, for uh, his amazing technical assistance. I do my level best. <laughs> yes, indeed you do. And uh, thanks as well to you, dear friends, for pushing play once again on this edition of Fusebox. As always, I invite you to uh, stop by the Fusebox store and check out the wondrous things awaiting you there. Like the now nearly famous commemorative whiskey mug emblazoned with the cover art from show number 50, delicately and painstakingly rendered by our collaborator in audio crime, Jeff Pollard. I hear you can also drink coffee or even tea in this thing, but uh, I wouldn't know myself. All that and more can be found at thefuseboxshow.com and just press the shopping tab and you'll be escorted safely and without spyware of any kind to the aforementioned store. So do be with us next time when we hear Oscar the Prairie Squid say... So this is your not-bathing-in-cream-corn host, Mark Rose. Until our next cartoon. Fuse box.